Uh, I am back, by the way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Richard, Richard, but, click, the, yeah. click the link. I, I, ha- I have. I'm like, <laughs> what? It, yeah. It's a, a dryer with squid arms and, <laughs> and eyeballs. What? Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's about to embark upon a new venture. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. And Richard. And uh, we do not have a Dennis today. Dennis is uh, moving, or actually has just moved this weekend to Texas. So uh, he currently does not have internet access set up. Uh, He will soon. But uh, he gave us the go-ahead to continue on without him for this episode. So... uh, uh, wish him luck, but we can confirm he has safely arrived in his in his new apartment there. So uh, uh, we're going to continue on without him. And today's main topic is we're going to talk about uh, getting started in Ninth Edition and specifically looking at the start collecting boxes and starter boxes and such that are available and which ones are the right choices for you or what you can do with them. Uh, but first, as always, news and new releases and your listener mail, and uh, it's a slow news week, <laughs> Wait, for a change. <laughs> yeah, it's been kind of nice to watch them just do, you know, the cow elves and kind of have a breather from 40k to kind of get your feet under you, which is kind of nice. <laughs> Although, actually, I will say there was there was one thing. I, I almost, well, there's, I, there's technically two things. So first, what they announced on recently on the... Warhammer community site is uh, we are getting more Bandai Primaris Marine models released. Yes. And they they look awesome, too. (laughs) Yeah, Imperial Fists with the auxiliary grenade launcher on its bolt rifle and uh, a Salamanders with a very nice, like, mastercrafted uh, bolter on it. Yeah, I do wonder. So it it sounds like they're not limiting these as much because I know that, like, the first, uh, first run was, like, what? 900 or something like it was explicitly a very limited order uh run uh this one doesn't sound like it's limited because apparently it sold out it's the other one sold well enough um and it makes me wonder at some point if they're going to make a um paint your own like because i could see them releasing like the uh the ultramarine one without a paint scheme i thought so that people had or is that a different figure so i know that the mcfarland I think McFarland Games is also releasing some Space Marine figures. So I think they may have done one that was wasn't painted. Yeah, I don't remember I don't remember. But like it'd be kind of neat to to get one of the insets. I mean, it's it's cool that we're getting more, like which is nice. It means that it's selling well enough. But yeah, it would be kind of cool to get one that's uh kind of like paint your own chapter. Yeah, and and also they did make it clear like you order these now and you'll receive them sometime next year. So this is not a going up for pre-order on the site to ship the next day or something. Sure, so. sure. Uh, and then a couple of weeks ago, so basically around the time of our last episode, uh, they did a new online preview. And this one was more focused on the their other titles. So some new Horse Heresy stuff, including Terminator, like uh, uh, new Terminators for Night Lords, which look pretty baller. 
Look awesome. And, uh, you know, more, more stuff for Necromunda and like the Orlocks. Uh, but we did get a little bit of 40k stuff, uh, including the Western themed preview video they did, <laughs> which was fantastic. If you have not watched it. Yeah, I, I missed that one. I'll have to go back and look. Oh, it is great because it's basically featuring all the gunslinger models. Ah, so like cool. there's the uh the um gosh, the mechanicus on uh, the Cerberus hounds with the guns, like with the rifles. Yeah. You've got them, you've got the Keller Morph, who does look like a three armed guy out of a Western. He just needs a hat. Yeah. <laughs> and then a new uh Deathmark destroyer called the Hexmark Destroyer, and it's basically a six gu- six pistol wielding three legged destroyer. Yeah, it's pretty pretty killer looking. <laughs> it's just kind ki- ki- it's it's just this side of ridiculous, but also cool. And then alongside that, they announced uh, a couple other things: a new Crusade mission pack called Beyond the Veil, which is focused on the Pariah Nexus, and so it's mostly going to be aimed at uh, armies that will be there, so Necrons and Imperium, and they've got. Uh, like new battlefield conditions for your games, new battle traits, upgradable war gear. I mean, very clearly this is aimed at crusade players. So mm-hmm. very similar to the in theme to like some of the narrative books we've had before. I like it because like in previous editions, we never really got that level of support for the narrative play. So like, I mean, what was it? Fourth edition. I think when they released the mission, the missions book that we were used until, well, like currently. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, they just never released anything new. Like, it's good to see that they're supporting it and that they're releasing more stuff like this because I assume this will be a semi-regular occurrence since it's kind of under the chapter-approved banner. If that means that they're going to continue to provide crusade materials, missions, deployments, things like that, that's that's great for the hobby. That's great for the game. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it is. And from... It, it, like from what little I've been able to glean from local players who are getting together for private games and such crusade is, is proving to be popular. People like it, it's a neat take on the, uh, the old escalation league, mm-hmm. but giving you a little bit more character into it and giving you like different objectives to play. So like you could lose the game, but still succeed at your objective and stuff like that. So, um, having more options for that as, as they roll out more, you know, more storyline beats, it is fantastic, and I'm I'm definitely on board for it. And then along with that, they've released a new scenery kit, which is uh, Battlezone Manufactorum Vertigus, which includes a lot of the uh, push fit terrain that they included in like the Command Edition and the Battlefield like Command Expansion, which I went ahead and picked up. I haven't put together the terrain for, but uh, I do dig it. Um, and this one, they give you two double-sided cart. So this will make should make a full forty-four by thirty table with enough terrain. And they do show you like how big the terrain is on the box, so you get a good sense of the scale of it. There's some pretty good-sized pieces, including a new what they call an auto coral transmitter, which is basically a big broadcast church building. Yeah, contents of the set will be enough to play combat patrol and incursion level games, and can, can be combined with more board and scenery for larger battles. So. Like, they're really leaning into getting people started at the 500 to 1,000 point mark. No, that's good. I mean, they should be, because that's, that's a, as as we've talked about, like, for years, that's how you get people into the game. You set the price point 
low enough where people can kind of join it on a whim, go, you know, go spend, you know, $90 or whatever on a starter, on a start, uh, start collecting box a little bit more like that. You split the terrain with someone else and boom, you know, for under 200 bucks, you've got everything you need to play small level games. Um, and if you split it, then it's even less. So like, yeah, you, it's good that they're doing these, that they're focusing on these, uh, this level. Mm-hmm. And of course that'll tie right into our main topic later as to why, you know, how to get in at that level. But I'm glad that they're, they're really pumping out the support for, for that. And that, that's always been one of the challenges is, you know, 40 K has been pushed for a long time as like you play this game at 2000 points and that can be a hurdle for a new mm-hmm. player to get into. And it's the same kind of problem that, you know, Warhammer Fantasy had back in the day. And I think ha- by having a game system that scales up well, which Age of Sigmar showed that it did, and I think based on our play of the of Ninth Edition, I think 40K does now. For uh, sure. Yeah, I, I think it, it is, it's good to see that level of support. And then there's a final product, and I'm not sure how I feel about this one. <laughs> This is chapter-approved uh, mission pack tactical deployment, uh, and it's about encouraging people to bring their own terrain. Uh, this pack contains 18 new match play missions, which allow you to bring your own theme terrain and use it to create a balanced battlefield alongside your opponent for close-fought games. This is perfect for any Warhammer 40,000 player who wants to add a new element to their battles. It also makes it much easier for event organizers and clubs to run tournaments. No need to paint 500 ruins to populate the tables. Run a tactical deployment event, provide tables and a roof, and the participants will bring the rest. I have my doubts. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the key that I have there is... They 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 put it in the in the tagline and use it to create a balanced battlefield alongside your opponent. I don't expect that to happen. <laughs> I just don't. We we talked about this with uh, with Kill Team Arena. Like, I don't. I like the idea that they're trying to take some of the burden off of tournament organizers and event organizers. I think that is noble and you know and a a good intention to goal. But asking players to bring, ter- you know, their terrain with them—that's that's going to cause so many problems because people will game the shit out of that. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah, I, I could. Here's the thing: I see this working much, much better for like an escalation league than for tournaments. I cannot imagine a single tournament will use this. But yeah, like and- store store events, escalation league stuff like that, maybe because then, hey, I bring. I bring, you know, my tables, you know, my half tables worth the train. And then that I could see it potentially working because there's a little lower stakes, but I I can't imagine any tournament will run this. Or or yeah, like, you know, a club or especially if a store is just starting, like we've just decided to start supporting 40K. We don't have terrain built up. Like you could even say something like, hey, the store will order a bunch of kits. You like we'll we'll sell them to you at cost or something or or maybe like we'll pay for the kits. But and then we'll divvy them out. You paint them and bring them like you. I could see something like that kind of working. But for anything outside of a club where there's kind of a close knit support right there, you're also going to have people like you people who will bring really high quality terrain both either in in the construction itself or its utility or both and you will have people who will not uh either because they don't 
have any drive to, or maybe they don't have access to the materials, or you know they. And, and yes, you can make terrain on the cheap pretty well, but it's it's still a big ask for people who sometimes are just like just getting their army painted is the, is a struggle. Asking yeah. them to do that and bring finished terrain is a really really big ask. And so, and I don't know unless it has very strict guidelines as to what is considered mm-hmm. a balanced battlefield. Like you have to bring this many of this kind and it has to be so big. Yeah. I if yeah, that's true. We haven't seen the rules yet for this. So if there are very specific rules for like it has to be this this or this, I I guess maybe it's not as bad, but like I can I can totally see and again just from like a gaming perspective it's like that I can totally see people bringing that like oh I'm playing my Imperial Knights oh look every building I brought just happens to be uh, you know ten inches tall so that it co- completely covers my knight from you know from you know from shooting I, I don't know I, I want to see I'm, what the rules are I'm playing orcs so I brought out these felt cutout ovals that are going to be quote-unquote forests. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I will say that I do I do see the reason this is being released, and I do see the upside. Like I said, I, hardcore competitive tournaments, I cannot imagine TOs giving up this level of control for the, for the battlefield. But for more casual events, like say, yeah. our, you know, our friendly tournament, or narrative events or things like that, I can absolutely see this working because when you show up to an event or something with your army, here is my, you know, my display board for my army, which is my well-painted themed army and the specific orc terrain for, you know, that, that, you know, that I brought for them with all the glyphs and everything. Um, or this is my, you know, chaos demons army. And then all of my warped, you know, terrain and, and stuff like that. Like, I can see it working really, really well in certain scenarios. I just, they're trying to run it as like a big kind of like, this will help make TO's life's easier. And I just, I don't see that. I can see it working on smaller events. Yeah. And I I like, I kind of like the idea of like almost like an armies on parade, but also with like where the, where your display board is terrain that you bring to the table. You yeah. could actually yeah. pull off a really cool looking event doing that. That that is that is something that I had kind of considered like doing with my orcs already, but <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like if you look at it from like like a a GT level or major level event, yeah, mm. I th- it's not a good fit. But for it, a, for yeah. a small event, sure. Yeah, a smaller event, I mean, I feel like maybe you'd have to it would probably behoove whoever's running the event to, you know, much like a GT would, you know, get kind of pre-approval on, you know, the lists everybody's running mm-hmm. and also what terrain they're bringing. Yeah. Which is just yeah. an extra step of approval that it will slow down the process even more. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> I I I think it's it's a well-intentioned but dubious move. But I will I'll withhold full judgment until we actually see the rules. Maybe they've maybe they threaded the needle and found a way to make it work. It's possible. Yeah. So, 
yeah, we'll we'll find out whenever that comes. They'd say it'll be available soon, but uh, I imagine a lot of this stuff is probably not going to come out until after the uh, Necron and Space Marine Codexes come out. So yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect it sooner than very late September, early October at the soonest. That would be my guess. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean there's there's a lot of game like the summer has been largely focused on forty K with the starter sets and Indominus and the new rules. So I imagine that September will mostly be Age of Sigmar or other things. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get back into forty K in October. Which yep. I'm fine with. Yeah, no, I I th- giving us a little bit of breathing room is, is nice. I uh I was out at a game store the other day, and I they had the uh, Lumineth uh, Realm Lords uh, starter box, like the 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 big box they released a few months ago on the you shelf. Sort of tempted. I, I was very tempted. <laughs> I if didn't I buy didn't, it, but I was tempted. <laughs> if I didn't already have a Daughters of Cain army that I'm that, that I have currently unfinished. I was sore tempted because Hiles was definitely an army I was interested in back yeah. in the day. But uh, I, I'm I'm going to be good and not pick up a new army until I can make far more progress on the stuff I already have. So. Exactly. That's that's my thing. I've got I'll, I'll, a lot also, of unpainted Primaris stuff. Yeah. Also, I would like to actually play Age of Sigmar before I buy and do like a third army for it. Ah, just jump in full jump in with both feet. You don't need to know about how the rules or how the game plays. <laughs> oh, I know how I know roughly how the game plays. I've played ninth edition. No, I've, I've read I've, I've got like I've read the Age of Sigmar rulebook. I've got several of the battle tomes. So it's like I know how it plays roughly and I've I've watched a couple of bat reps for it. So it's like I'm not a noob at it, but it's like I can't I can't justify the expense unless I actually yeah, play. Unlike something like, say, Star Wars Armada, which I just want for the pretty ships. <laughs> well, that's fair. I also want to play it, but like, I don't care if I play it or not. I have like nearly one of everything. So, so I, I know that we're not a Age of Sigmar podcast, but I will point out, though, that the uh, new Teclas model uh, is like super impressive. <laughs> Yeah, no, it looks really good. No, their their modeling uh, tech and design has has just gotten just amazing over the last few years. They've really learned to to do very impressive things with plastic. Although I still have my worries about some like the very fine joins between large components or things that are floating yeah. in the air on tiny tiny wisps of support. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, the the models, yeah, the model tech that they're using is just amazing. All right, so we're going to go ahead and transition over to listener mail. As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners, and if you want to hear how to uh, get a letter to us, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. Uh, so first off, we have a follow up on how Flying Monkey GT went in regards to event safety uh, from Charles Fox. Charles writes. You brought up that you were not sure about social distancing and masks outside the tournament. There was a strict enforcement policy that you pulled the mask down to drink and then you put it back up. Nearly holding a glass like you were drinking it was not enough. And people got warned and and got yellow cards for masks. The hotel enforced wearing a mask when outside your room and they talked to the TO if anyone objected to wearing them while walking the hotel halls. Every other guest of the hotel I saw that weekend not part of the tournaments was wearing masks. Currently, Wichita requires masks in any public place. That's fantastic. That yeah. is really yeah. good to hear. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Now, and I, I, w- I will say I still do have concerns uh, because um, restaurants and bars are an issue. Yeah. Because at some point, you got to take off your mask to eat. And it's also been known that bars are often hot spots for for coronavirus because people tend to take off their masks and leave them and get increasingly happy and boisterous while right. talking. <laughs> and it's not like 40K players ever go to bars after events. I don't know not what you're ever. talking about. Yeah. So, uh, but I, no, I, so... Well, I, I don't want to sound like I'm poo-pooing it, though. It sounds like they really did as much as they could control. They did what they could. And that's that's the most that, – that's really all we can ask. If if an event is going to go forward, that it, they do everything they can to to mitigate the risk. And it really does sound like the Flying Monkey crew and the staff at the Drury Hotel there in Wichita, downtown Wichita did their job. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, so. I, I'm glad to hear that. And – it's been uh, a few weeks, and I don't think I've heard of anybody testing positive or coming down with any symptoms. So it sounds yeah. like it worked. So that's that is reassuring for a potential return to a larger events. I still have my personal reservations about um, playing in smaller spaces mm-hmm. with people, but in a large hall like that, the air circulation is generally good enough that. It, if everybody's masked, it should be relatively safe. Yeah. Uh, next up, a follow-up from uh, Matt Hurd, who uh, wrote to us some advice on what to do with a, a Demons of Corn army and or, or, or just a Corn 40K army and what to add to it. And we had suggested uh, possibly adding Nurgle. And Matt writes, thanks for the advice on the show. Although maybe add some Nurgle seems to have gotten a little bit out of hand. Just want to show you what your advice has wrought. And he sent us an animation of a quickly growing Nurgle force that is one slobbity bile piper and a good dozen or more bases of Nurglings just slowly growing. Yeah, it looks so like that, 16 that w- in that image. <laughs> yeah, that w- that was a great way to to send us that update, Matt. We really yes. appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be careful. Those Nurglings will, will multiply if you leave yeah. them unattended. Yeah, wear a mask uh, when working on your Nurglings because they will spread. Uh, so uh, next up, a uh, letter from Red Rabbit. Red Rabbit writes, Dear enemies of preference, hope you all are doing well in these times. Thank you for continuing to bring us all this wonderful podcast. Well, you're welcome, Rabbit. Apologies in advance for the long email. I haven't sent one in a while, and I have a bit to say. So the launch of Ninth Edition gave me a little bump into doing a little bit of expanding plus hobbying. My current favorite box set right now is the easy-to-build five-model Cadians. They are quick, simple to build, plus they look great, and they're, plus they look pretty good in my opinion. We would argue the pros and cons of normal sprues versus easy build all day, but I think they both have their places in the hobby. I use both. I personally buy the Cadian Infantry Squad box and turn it into all special weapons plus sergeants, then use the easy build for the bulk of the squads. Then you have all the options, and if you want, you can use the leftover special weapons to make veterans and special weapon squads. And this got me thinking, and I know it isn't going to happen, but it's a thought experiment, so bear with me. 
What if Games Workshop was to release pre-built and painted models, much the same way that Fantasy Flight does with X-Wing? You buy the box, open it, and there you go. You can use that model. Then you have three types of boxes for models. The normal sprues for kit bashers and people who enjoy full customization. The easy fit for those who care less about customization but still want to paint. And the fully ready boxes for those who just want to play. Super new players, hardcore competitive players might be into it. Discuss, comradely Red Rabbit. So I guess... My own, my big reservation is as somebody who played like Heroclix back in the day and has played with, you know, some of the, the X Wing and the Star Trek fleet games that are pre painted minis. Pre painted minis are mostly shit. <laughs> uh, I will say of the ones you listed, X Wing are definitely the best. Yeah, but I've still repainted most of them. <laughs> like, because I, I, I don't like the way they, because I didn't think they came out that great. So. Honestly, I haven't repainted it. I mean, I've seen some absolutely fantastic repaints. There are some people that do art with their X-Wing repaints. Yeah. But I think the existing models, especially the newer, like the second edition stuff they've been putting out, they like upped the painting and modeling quality. Uh, They look, I think they do look fantastic. So it can be done, but also consider that mechanical things are much easier to do than organic things. Yes. That's where... Uh, some of the like you mentioned hero clicks and one of my favorite hero clicks of all time is still uh toad looking kingpin because he had big white eyes with tiny little black pupils pointing in alternate directions or one small pupil and one huge pupil i think that's well, why we called him toad looking my my favorite was uh was the in the very first set there was a rogue model that looked like she used the homer simpson uh makeup shotgun um, because her face was just a mishmash of color that like didn't really come together into anything other than just like streaks of color. It was really bad. <laughs> yeah. So it, they are a mixed bag and mass producing that can yeah. be very, very tricky. Could they mass produce battle ready models? Sure. You would have, they would have like little to no options. And I think that's, that's the first place that would be problematic is, you'd have to kind of decide on a bunch of standard builds and you'd want to have some options in there. And maybe you could even do like, if you built them like slightly push fit where it's like, okay, the body and head and legs and everything are all put together, but then here's where you can push on the arms. And so it's like, maybe you've got a melting gun option and a plasma gun option, stuff like that. That would theoretically possibly work for, a couple of units in a couple of armies. But I think that after a point, you'd have, you wouldn't have enough to really field a good, like a flexible army. Yeah. And, you know, again, these could be repainted, repurposed, etc. And even being pre-painted, people will cut off parts and kit bash them. I mean, that's always possible. But I think it might be a bridge too far for 40k. Yeah, I just I, I think the extra cost and time of of mass producing them just kind of isn't going to be worth it for GW mm-hmm. um, because like, you could easily do you know the, they've released monopose miniatures for things that have options and you know the one I'm thinking of is the the uh, Shadow Spear um, uh, Chaos Marines like. That squad of 10 has, you know, four or five different options in there. And, like, that's 
a good way of doing it. Like those are all monopose models. You can't, you could kit bash them a little bit, but it's, you know, as is, they just kind of have the, the equipment they have. You could potentially do the extra post-production step of doing the painting on those. But I think, I just don't, I just don't think they, it's worth it for them to do it on a, on a mass scale because GW is really particular about their painting stuff. Like when you see all of the, uh, marketing materials, the box art, the stuff that goes into White Dwarf, the stuff that goes on the website, it's all heavy metal stuff. Like it's all very well painted, very neat, very clean stuff. And I just, the, to get that level out of pre-painted would require so much time and effort that I don't think it would be worth it for him. Yeah, and also something that uh, WizKids, who makes HeroClix, or made HeroClix, I think they, do they still? But anyway, uh, between between WizKids and like Fantasy Flights, there's something that they don't sell that GW does, and that's paint. <laughs> yes. And besides, like you said, the the cost involved in getting it up to a, a level that they would feel comfortable with, they've already put out a quick paint option for their game, and it's called Contrast Paint. You know, and yeah. and the fact that they've been pushing Battle Ready as a relatively simple standard to have a passable army on the table is... I mean, that tells me where they'd rather go with it, is they would yeah. rather have people doing their own thing but using using paints and we've tried to find ways to make it as simple as possible but also where you can go as complex as you want so i i would i think that is probably more like that that's where they've decided on i don't i don't mm-hmm. see them doing that and i also i think in the 40k community, there might be a little whether it's warranted or not. I think there might be a stigma if somebody started using like against people who used pre-painted models, which I mean is unfair, but I think it would happen. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's a stigma about people that use contrast in events and stuff like that. So I I don't know. Painting is such a big part of the hobby. I don't I don't know. I I see the benefits because you know for especially for new players. Being able to come in and like have something that is tabletop ready from the get go, but mm-hmm. at the same time, if you have that crutch, then those people never, never learn to paint, never kind of go through that process and get better at it. So I, I don't know. I, I see, I see the benefits, but I just don't think it lines up with what GW wants the hobby to be. Yeah, I, I that I totally agree, and and it also it would be cannibalizing a part of their business that they've poured a lot of energy into because mm-hmm. besides the fact that they sell paints, they spend a lot of time doing free painting tutorials, a lot right. of time, <laughs> a lot of time doing that. A lot of time doing hobby hangouts online. I mean, they've poured a, a ton of resources into having a vibrant hobby community. And I, yeah, I just don't see that aligning with, and here's a way to completely skip that portion. You might see that as an April fool's joke. <laughs> in fact i would like to see the duncan i mean he doesn't work for gw anymore but the duncan Rhodes uh paint shotgun for models as a <laughs> april fool's joke <laughs> so uh yeah i i mean there's already enough of a stigma for you know for monopose models there's already like people who yeah. don't like the uh the easy fit or the easy build stuff and i think the easy build stuff is fine but it's you know, it, it is difficult to uh, 
Yeah. Ooh, that that rogue is pretty rough. Yeah, that's that's pretty the one rough. that's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. but yeah, I. There's enough people that already have an issue with the, hey, why are you releasing single pose models when we'd like to be able to kit bash? Like, the hobby is such, like, the hobby community part of this is so big and very opinionated, too. So, yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't see it going well. I think if you could get, if you take, if you were to look at this just, like, from a completely objective perspective, and you took a game, and I'm, gonna, I'm you know, we haven't picked on them in a while, so I'll say, like, War Machine. Where uh, kit bashing is kind of like discouraged in the community, and it's like we want this to be built this way with these you know layouts, whatever, and this specific. And the, and the hobby and the community has kind of said that no, it needs to be built this way. You can't use proxies, you can't use that. Then potentially you could go with a, an option to pre-build, uh, pre-paint those, and be like, here is you know your pre-painted starter box, whatever, and. That would work a little bit better, but again, like you'd have to kind of build into your game from the get-go that painting scores don't affect outcomes at, at, at games, um, and that your kit bashing community, you're just kind of actively discouraging that. And GW is absolutely not in those cases. Like they're on the opposite end of that. They encourage kit bashing. And they've in their ninth edition rule set, you get ten points for having a fully painted army. So like it's part of every game. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I don't, not that I think it would matter that much, but like if somebody could just buy a box of Marines that are pre painted and ensure that they get that ten points every single game, I don't know. That's not that goes against what they're trying to do with the rule set. Mm-hmm. So. And- I, I think hypothetically, I think it could work for certain games. I just don't think 40K is that game. And and I was thinking about as you were talking, there are, you know, you said like, you know, if the game had that kind of built in and I thought, well, they could always release a new, like, let's say they re-release Battlefleet Gothic. And Battlefleet Gothic, they decide, hey, we're going to do pre-painted fleets. So kind of going the uh, X-Wing or Armada route. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that that game, because the culture of it, the brand new culture of it would have pre-painted models in it originally, I think would be more accepted. Although there would still be some GW fans who'd be like, hell no, I'm going to repaint. I need to find out how to strip and repaint it because I don't do pre-painted models. But if if it was there as kind of an easy entry game with where you had like six models on a side and they're all pre-painted. Yeah, I think that could work. But the reason I don't even think they do that is take a look at like Aeronautica Imperialis or um, uh, Adeptus Titanicus. These are also games that have small scale, uh, you know, a handful of models on each side. And they've leaned very hard into the hobby aspect of that as well. So I just don't think it's in their interest at all. I just I, I don't think they think that way. I don't, And I don't know if I would expect them to do it. Yeah, I, I, I like I said... I don't expect GW to do it. I could see a world where releasing prepainted for your game would be very handy and you could have kind of that three tiered layer layer, but it would have to be a game where you released those prepainted at launch with your new game and you kind of you removed paint scores in the hobby from scoring completely and you actively discourage kit bashing. I think if yeah. you 
did all of that, then yes, you could create a game that does that. But I also don't know that if you do those things, I don't know what your audience is for the game because I know for 40K, like all three of those are hooks to get people into the game. There are people who love playing the game and tolerate painting. There are people who tolerate paint, you know, that, that want to paint but never play. There's people that just do kit bashes. So for GW, it's a good market strategy because they have multiple ho- ways to get you hooked into the game. Uh, and I don't, I don't think they would want to give, give that up. Uh, yeah, I, so speaking along those ideas, what if, for example, Age of Sigmar has this nice thing that they have this, the, the Warhammer Underworlds board game and it mm-hmm. comes with models and those models, you know, the, they basically work like Age of Sigmar models. You put them together, you paint them. And you can use them to play the board game, but then you can also use them in Age of Sigmar. Yeah. What if they were to come out with a board game that was a small scale, I mean, kind of like Blackstone Fortress, but Mm -hmm. instead of having these assembled, uh, these models that you have to put together and paint, like it was more of a... There's a bunch of models in here that you can use, but they're already all put together and, and pre-painted, and they are for this board game, but you could also use them in 40k. Yeah, I think that'd be a that'd be a fine middle step. And and honestly, like something like Blackstone Fortress, I think actually having to put the models together is almost a <laughs> barrier to entry because it's a board yeah. game for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Right. So like something that just or like even if like i mean for for me when i first saw blood bowl i kind of wondered why are these not just already put together and painted yeah cuz there's like it like i know that there's it's not like 40k where you have like different pose options and you have different you know gear options why not just have them be pre-assembled? I mean, the models as they are, are awesome. Don't get me wrong, but like the game itself, I don't feel necessarily needed that level. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely can see that where it's like, yeah, you can sell ex, you know, team, you know, teams or team expansions on the side. And they do where those could be like the traditional put together and paint models. But yeah, for your like your kind of entry level product and they do actually like they've got an entry level that I've picked up called Blitz Bowl, which is like a, a streamlined modern kind of reimagining of what Blood Bowl could be, but on a smaller pitch. And that one I even has like it's push fit, but it's all models you have to put together. And it's like why like they only sell that at Barnes and Noble. Why even bother having uh, a push, you know, model assembly in it is all at all. Just have even if the models weren't painted, just have them assembled and ready to play. Mm-hmm. And right, in different colors of plastic, which they are in different colors of plastic. So it's like just yeah. make them done. Yeah, but I, I think I, I do also think GW sees those games as gateway products, and they want people to get a feel for the entire like the assembly and painting part of it. But and I also I'm curious what the audience outside of 
like wargaming sees the sees of that and feels about it because like most other board games like i'm thinking like a zombie side or or something like uh blood rage or things like that where yes it's got a whole bunch of really intricate minis but they're all pre-assembled right i i remember one of the first uh early one of the early board games um that that i backed on kickstarter years ago was called sedition wars ah yes i remember that one and it fell into that very weird niche that it wasn't a war game but it used so many aspects of war games where the models aren't put together or painted you had to do all that um there was you know line of sight concerns and and you know you had lots of stats that you had to keep track of on cards and it it was a very hybrid between a board game at, like very much so like i think it's one of the biggest like it falls like as dead center between board game and war game as you can get and because of that it kind of really didn't make a lot of the people in either of those crowds happy. Yeah. It it doesn't know what it wants to be. And so it doesn't like either audience doesn't really get what they want out of it. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. And I, and I do think that like, like I said, GW sees a lot of these board games that they've been putting out for non uh, war gaming consumption as kind of like a, a foot in the door. Cause like I said, you know, blitz bowls available at uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, at least here in the U S and they've released several other games that use uh, like age of Sigmar models, like other pre-constructed age of Sigmar models. They even have a streamline or like a smaller scale version of Warhammer underworlds with smaller war bands that you can buy exclusively at Barnes and Noble. Um, hell, the Space Marine Adventures game that uses some uh, push fit, uh, multi, you know, uh, push fit Space Marines in different colors to represent different chapters. Um, that's available at Target. <laughs> like, we, we, yeah. it, it's on the shelves right now. And they see, I, I really do think they see these as a foot in the door and kind of getting people used to the idea of, okay, yeah, you can build these models and and then play with them. I don't know if they get people quite making the next step the way something like Kill Team does, but it's it's an interesting question to see if to to wonder if that if it's really even a viable path to entry. If like I'd be curious how many people actually make their entry to 40k through or or just war gaming in general through those board games. I mean, we know people have through reading novels and people have through playing some of the the various computer games that have been put out. I, I'm curious to, to I, I just don't know what yeah. how many people make that leap from the smaller board games into it. But you'd think that if there was an audience for a pre-painted, pre-assembled mini, that would be it right there. <laughs> so so yeah, Red Red Rabbit, that's an interesting topic to chew on. I don't see GW going that route. Just because I don't think it it, go, it meshes with what they want to do, but uh, it's it's definitely interesting to talk about. 
Uh, and then our final letter is from Tom Crisp. Tom writes, uh, Greetings, preferred enemies. I hope you all are keeping safe. I was fortunate enough to get some Forge World vouchers for my birthday, and it sparked an interesting discussion with my gaming group over what to pick up, and I wanted to see what you guys think. For reference, I have currently the following armies. Ultramarines, Adeptus Mechanicus, Necrons, Knights, and I just started Custodes. I'm assembling and painting, but haven't played yet. Option one, I get several little things. Weapon options for Dreadnoughts and or Custodian Guard or Skatari Upgrade Sprues, that kind of thing. Option two, something that might see the field occasionally within my current lists, like a Termite Drill, Knight Lancer, or an Orion Dropship. Uh, option three, something big, a centerpiece or showpiece. I guess the Orion is a bit of option two and three. Uh, something that might see the table once a year, but is just epic. Think uh, an Acastus Knight or a Warhound Titan. Uh, hopefully it'll spark some interesting thoughts. Thanks for your time, Tom. Uh, well, first off, congratulations on getting a bunch of Forge World vouchers to use, because that's <laughs> awesome. Uh, but what to get with it? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of depends on budget, because... You mentioned kind of the, you know, getting things like, you know, Dreadnoughts or weapon upgrades all the way up to like a Warhound Titan. I assume he doesn't have enough vouchers to just get a Warhound through the disc of the vouchers. Um, <laughs> if he if, does. If, if so. Him, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, if so, then I would absolutely recommend the Warhound because if you got them, if you got the vouchers for it, do it. Um yeah, so I think it partially just depends on like how much you want to add on top of what your vouchers are. Um, the 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 weapon upgrades are always nice. I love the different dreadnoughts. So like the the, the contemptor dreadnoughts for all the different legions are fantastic. Um, you can't go wrong with those. Custodes have a lot of great Forge World options and like a lot of specific units that don't exist in 40k but do have rules to play in 40k. I don't know. I personally, I always kind of lean more towards the big things. Like I've got a lot of big forge world models. So that's kind of where my head would go. But I think it just depends on like what your budget is and like what you want to spend. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say one warning on Warhounds: Uh, if you're buying it for your, an Imperium army, uh, they only have the body in stock. The various gun arms are out of stock for the Mars pattern. Uh, but uh, if hey, if you're going chaos, you can buy a chaos warhound scout titan and plasma gun and uh, titan Vulcan <laughs> mega bolter. So that's a thing. Oh, and they do have Ursus claws available now. Ooh, fire the Ursus claw! <laughs> uh, uh. So I know for the the my my concern about buying a warhound titan is that. It's definitely epic, but you are really only going to use it if you're playing Apocalypse. It's not going to mm-hmm. fit into pretty much anything else. Because, like, a yeah. Warhound Titan is is an army. Like, it is a army's worth of points right there. So, uh, it that... I mean, it would definitely be an awesome piece to have. Do not get me wrong. It may You may not get the most bang out of your buck for it. Yeah, um, that's fair. Uh Yeah, it really depends. It depends on like what your budget is. And um, I know weapon options for dreads, a lot of those have gone out of stock or had in recent years. Like a lot of their dreadnought bodies went out of stock too. Yeah, because I'm looking at like the Ultramarine one right now and it is temporarily out of stock. Yeah. Uh, They do have they do have the Primark, uh, you know, Gilliman, though. So if you don't if you don't like the the uh, 40 cave model or if you just want both. That's also an option. 
Yeah. Now, uh, if you wanted to get a Relic Contemptor Dread or Daredeo, that that would kind of be that middle piece of. It's not quite a bunch of upgrades, but it is kind of a something that'll feel. I see. I would go with option two, something you're going to use a lot, or something yeah. that's going to get use in one of your armies. And in that case, like I think an, Ar- an Orion is a bad choice. Uh, Dennis has one and has not been happy with its performance. Yeah. But a Telamon would be a really good piece. Yes. Yeah, the Telamon Dreadnought is really good. The Termite Drill for your Mechanicus is also good. Like That's a neat thematic way to, to transport them. Any of the knights, like the Knight Lancer, the, the Atropos, like any of those are, are neat, fun options that'll be fun to paint. And that you can actually use because they're, you know, they're small enough points wise that they're not going to take up, you know, the entirety of an army to field them. You can still field an army around them. Also, sadly, most of the custode stuff out of stock right now, <laughs> including the Telamon and the Caladius. So, I mean, those options are pretty much out. Um, let's see. I hate limiting it a lot. Wow, they are out of stock of a lot of stuff. Termites they, out. They, they are out of stock on a lot of stuff right now. Yeah, I know mm. they recent just recently kind of got the Forge World forges, you know, kicking back on. So, well, I mean, it's um, because they're it's because they're planning on putting all the stuff for sale in GW stores, right? And <laughs> that one one can hope. I mean, that rumor's only been going around for like what ten years. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I yeah. would I would I would go with option two personally, and then if you have the vouchers or money left over, maybe a little bit of option one because those yeah. kits tend to be like the the upgrade kits tend to not be very expensive, and the upgrade kits are, are really cool. Like they they can add a lot of flavor to your army. So yeah, yeah. like um, the Secutari Peltasts upgrade kit is still in stock, and that would just give you uh, a completely different unit of Skatari to use because it basically takes the Skatari Ranger kit and uh, gives you a bunch of options and head like backpack head and weapon options. So, and that, that upgrade kit is like 41 bucks by itself, 70 if you buy it with the, uh, the plastic kit thrown in. So, I mean that, Again, it depends on how many vouchers you have, but I would go for something. I would like wait, wait to see once stuff stuff comes back in stock, for example. But yeah, I would think something like a Telamon, termite drill, uh, a smaller one of the smaller knights. Those would all be good, good choices for uh, what you already have. Um, if you want to go really well, I mean, even Necrons are like out of stock of the Seraptic heavy construct. Yeah, yeah. It's like there, man. There's so much stuff out of out of stock, but like, like the Tomb Sentinel, if they had that in stock for Necrons, it it also like depends on which army are you wanting to to go with. But like, you're starting, you're working on Custodes now. This would be the perfect time to drop in something like a Cladius or or a Telamon or something like that and kind of build the rest of the army around it. Or maybe you want to wait and see how Custodes plays and, and see if you need that. But yeah, I, I think option two is probably the the best option. Option three, if you just want to get something that's huge and looks good and that you'll maybe use if you play APOC once in a while, it's not necessarily a bad choice, but I think two gives you the 
to get you the the most out of your vouchers once stuff becomes available and is it right is back <laughs> available for order again so Ah, so yeah. And if you have a question for us, whether it's like, hey, what should I buy? What do you think of this? Or uh, a follow up on something we've done or a correction, or I think we are taking list reviews now that games are starting to happen. Uh, there's three good ways to do that. First is you can email us. Our email address is our first names at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Second is our Facebook page. We are at facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow us, and uh, we keep up to date about new episodes coming out, news and new releases, things like that. And third is our Twitter account. We are at twitter.com slash preferred enemy, singular. Um, and uh, we basically take all questions and feedback from all those sources, collate them together, throw them in the hopper, and get through as many as we can in an episode. A hopper is currently empty, so if you want to get a letter in before the next episode, now's the perfect time. Uh, also, uh, we do have a Patreon. Uh, if you are in a finan- financial position where you feel comfortable uh, supporting the show and you want to support us, uh, you totally can. Uh, we uh, don't lock any of our episodes behind a paywall, so there's absolutely no obligation to give. And uh, if you do have the means, we'd actually prefer right now for you to help uh, charities in your area because there's a lot of people who have been struggling in the job market or with evictions, things like that. Uh, so there's definitely like food pantries and other services that can benefit in your area. But if you still want to give to us um, to help support the show, and this does things like pays for our hosting, helps keep our equipment up to date, which as uh, we are, you know, definitely at this point with half the crew in different parts of Kansas City and the other half in different parts of the country, we are now a hundred percent fully uh fully remote podcast so uh making sure we can keep everybody with solid microphones and uh, and any other gear we need is, is very important although uh we don't have a big travel budget right now because we don't really have a travel need uh that may change in the future but uh right now we're doing okay but if you want to help support the show uh you can uh basically go to uh, patreon.com slash preferred enemies and uh we don't have really any tiers it's just an online tip jar and if you just want to support us at like maybe a dollar level, uh, enough people do that, it adds up and helps out. So we really appreciate it. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, uh, it'll be time for our main topic, which is part one of a multi-part series on getting started in ninth edition. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. (laughs) 
Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is getting started with 9th edition, and specifically looking at the various starter products, whether they're the new 9th edition starter boxes or start collecting boxes for particular armies. And what can you build with them, and what kind of bang do you get for your buck out of these? And uh, right off the top, I want to give kudos to Kevin for going through and collating the data on this. Yeah, so I went through and just because, you know, this is one of the things that we constantly talk about with uh, getting into 40K, getting a start, you know, started into it. How do you do it? How do you go about it? With the new edition, a lot of people hopefully are interested. And with the ability to play the game at smaller levels, the barrier to entry is the lowest it's ever been. So we wanted to go through and take a look, or at least I, I wanted to go through and take a look, and then I convinced everyone else to talk about it, um, to see, like, what value you got out of the starter boxes and where you could take those forward to like build up to potentially like a full 2000 point army over time. Um, so I went through and I did a breakdown of the recruit edition, the elite edition starter. I, I didn't do the command edition because the terrain is nice, but not really relevant for army building. And then I, I went ahead and included the in, a breakdown of Indomitus as well, just so anybody who got that set kind of knows what they're getting and what's what's in it, uh, point-wise. And then um, I did a breakdown of all of the uh, start collecting boxes that are currently available. Um, so I, it, it gave me some nice information as to, like, how – what you get in these boxes typically and, like, where you can go from there. Um, and I thought it was kind of very interesting, fascinating data that we can start getting into. Yeah. And uh, there, there's a lot to to take in. And uh, Kevin's even done a breakdown all the way to how many points you get per dollar spent. Yeah. So, I mean, literally the, the bang for your buck. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's interesting to me because for the most part, the and this is a little more about like the start collecting sets. But the start collecting sets are typically around um, about 300 to 400 points and somewhere in the 15 to 20 power PL level. So, like, you do – you typically get an HQ, a troop, and something else uh, in all these boxes, which is a pretty good place to be, um, you know, from a a starting and, you know, just starting with the game perspective. So – I think for the most part, these boxes are very good, and they're still very good ways to get into the game. 
But like I said, with all the points changes and stuff for ninth edition, I felt it it needed it, it warranted kind of a revisit and uh, and the ability to go through and kind of see what we're getting and how much value we're getting out of these. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, you know, there not all factions are covered evenly. A lot of them, there's a fair number of factions that do not have starter sets at present. Yeah, Dark Angels, Grey Knights. Regular firstborn space marines don't currently have a, a start collecting box that's available. I expect a lot of that will probably change once we get the new space marine codex. I imagine there may be a, a dark angel starter set at that point using the uh, dark imperium models potentially, or you know, a, a they'll throw a firstborn marines start collecting kit out there again. But like sisters of battle do not have a start collecting. Adeptus uh, Custodes, Death Guard, Harlequins, all don't are are all lacking start collecting box. And then I included Craft Worlds on here because the current start collecting box is only Wraiths. And if you're interested in playing any other type of Eldar army um, or Yanari or anything like that, there's no easy option to be able to start getting like troops that are not Wraiths. Mm-hmm. I happen to like the Wraith starter box, but if you're wanting to just play a Footdar army, there's no great, there's no way to kind of start with that. There's no start collecting box for it. Right. Uh, but we're going to take it from the top and start uh, with this episode on looking at the the dedicated starter products for 9th edition. So this includes the Recruit Edition, the Elite Edition, and although technically it's more of a launch product than a starter product and isn't readily available anymore, uh, Indominus. Because yeah. there's probably a fair number of people who bought Indominus and are trying to figure out what to do with it. So, uh, so starting from the top, Recruit Edition, and you have the cost here per faction at 25 because it's a $50 box that you split. Yeah, it's, it's a $50 box, so I'm... So the, all these prices are U.S. And the other thing that I did, it, but the starter boxes is a little less. It's a little more obvious because like uh, they're all push fit models, so you can't really change them. But for a lot of these, I went through and I basically built the models as they show on the box. There are some additional builds that you can do with these um, to add in additional um, options or up the point cost, up the power level. But I kind of I kind of went with what was in the box just to and how I would use them. Um, to kind of build out the force orgs. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the recruit edition, $50 box, you get, um, on the space marine side, you get one HQ, which is the, uh, blade guard primaris lieutenant with the, uh, the Volkite pistol. And you get five assault intercessors, um, which comes out to about 190 points and nine PL, um, which is, you know, for twenty five dollars, that's really good. Like, you can't get a five. You know, they don't sell a five person. Uh, you know, tax squad, primary squad, but the ten person squad is sixty bucks by itself, and then the character when they release it will be a twenty five to thirty dollar character model by itself. So you're getting fantastic value mm-hmm. on, you know, for splitting the starter box. Even though it is only six models, you're getting a decent amount of points. You're getting an HQ and you're getting a troop that you could immediately drop into like a patrol detachment and play at, you know, at very low point levels. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a Lieutenant is a, is actually a really good, you know, HQ for that, especially with, you know, the plus one to wound is when you're already hitting on like twos and threes, 
mm-hmm. all around. Yeah, getting the extra wounding is is very important. So, yeah, it's a. I mean, it's it's a very basic little patrol detachment, but it's enough to get started with for sure. Yeah. Well, and and we'll cover it as well. But I think where things really kind of sing as if like if you're really wanting to start picking up like a recruit edition and the elite edition and splitting it with somebody else gets you a pretty good way towards building out some of these factions. Um, so, you know, we can go on. Do you want to do you want to talk about the Necron half of this or do we want to like move on to like the, the Space Marine elites elite um, edition? Let's stick with Space Marines and then we'll okay. hit the Necrons separately. Okay. So, like, in the uh, in the Elite Edition, it's a $100 box, again, U.S. So you split it, so it's $50 per person. And in that, you also get uh, the Primaris Captain. You get a five-man Assault Intercessor Squad. And you get a unit of the, out- the Outrider Bikes. So that comes out to approximately 340 points, 16 power level. You know, again, for $50. And if going by normal GW prices for what bike squadrons are, a three-man bike squadron is $50 by itself. So for the cost of that starter, you're getting, you're getting basically the bike squad with no options, you know, because it's monopose, but then you're basically getting a free character and a free assault intercessor squad, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And like I said, where that, where I think those really kind of sing is when you combine those. So if you were to buy both sets, split it with a friend, it's $75 total for this two start, the, the elite and the recruit edition. That gives you two HQs, two units of troops, and a fast attack for $75. It's 530 points. So if you're wanting to play, um, and it's 25 PL. Yeah. So if you're wanting to play combat patrol, you're there. You're at your 25 PL and you don't have to buy anything else. Um, and you've got, like I said, you've got two HQ units, you've got two troops, and you've got a fast attack. So you've got some variety in gameplay with what you've got in the in your army. And like I said, all for all for less than the cost of one of the other start collecting boxes. Because the other start collecting boxes run ninety to ninety five dollars. So you're looking at about seventy five dollars to be able to get five hundred points of Space Marines, and then from there. There's all sorts of options you can go into if you want to go specifically into other chapters or, you know, if you want to stick with Primaris, there's all of the the Shadow Spear stuff. There's all the Primaris uh, Intercessors. There's, I'm blanking on the name of the Plasma guys, Hellblasters. You've got, you know, Hellblasters. You've got tanks that you can add now. So you can really take this, use this as the base of your army and build it up from there to get to your thousand point or your 2000 point army. Oh yeah. And even just getting this up to a thousand points. I mean, honestly you buy like you've got two squads of assault intercessors. Maybe you buy a box of just bolt gun intercessors Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, like maybe you buy a repulsor or an impulsor if you want to transport or, you know, you can fill up that remaining 500 points pretty fast. Yeah. And even if you want to stick with easy build options, uh, the easy build Redemptor Dreadnought is, I mean, it, it goes really quick and it'll fit in with pretty much anything you're doing here. Uh, they have easy build aggressors, easy build, I don't think they have easy build inceptors, but they do have. Well, if, if you pick up the start collecting Vanguard uh, Space Marines, 
those are all the the shadow spear uh monopose like push fit models yeah so there are incursors and uh the snipers i forget what eliminators eliminators yeah so like if 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 you want to just stick with primaris and you want to stick with like just buying like one box of things you could pick that up and that's another hq that's one to two more troops depending how you build them out it gives you another fast attack with the um the jump marines with the the auto cannons I forget what they're yeah. called eradicators no i think eradicators. no uh, uh the names for all this primary stuff is t- are too similar <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh yeah like if you do that that is so that is another 530 points on for the vanguard marines so basically you buy the two suppressors. starter boxes. That's the suppressors oh, or what? Suppressors, yes. Thank Ones you. that had don't match all the other names. <laughs> right. But yeah, like if you buy the two starter boxes and you buy the Vanguard Space Marines, right there you're at a thousand points. You've got three HQ options. You've got three to four troop options. Uh, you've got two fast attack, one heavy support. You have a good base for an army that you can then build up into whatever faction that you want to use. So that's a, a really fast and very simple way to get a, a primary space Marine army off the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, very easy to build up a lot. And all those units are solid. Uh, I mean, suppressors and eliminators are particularly good. Incursors are a very popular troop choice right now. So yeah, you can definitely get a lot of, of bang for your buck by spending a total of, let's see, 75 plus, uh, what, 95? 95, yeah. So, yeah, you're talking $160 to get uh, actually over 1,000 points because yeah. you're going to be at about, yeah, 1060. So then you can, you know, tweak these lists a little bit and, like, maybe I don't take this unit this time or maybe I don't take this HQ, but I take this unit instead. Um yeah, you can, like, just going with start collecting stuff, you can very quickly get a Primaris army up to, um, you know, up to uh, a thousand. Or another option, let's say you decide, well, you, you have assault uh, intercessors, maybe you go splash in the Primaris Space Wolves book, yeah. box, which is also only like 435 points. So now you're like almost exactly, like, you're vi- you're not going over nine you know a thousand so also an option you can go with don't have to but that's the thing you have flexibility and that's uh, of choice so there's so many space marine uh, uh, options out there so many faction sub factions of it and because we know that they're all going to be running out of the same codex come october it's not a bad choice regardless of what flavor you want to take exactly yeah you can go through and you can kind of flavor to taste with whatever faction or you know chapter or specific units that you want to add so yeah i yeah. think it it they've done a really good job with the start collecting box for the primary stuff i think to allow you to be able to quickly get a very good primaris army you know for pretty cheap like i said 160 bucks total to get you to a thousand points or you know around that the other option if you were lucky enough to get it is if you bought the indominus box that is a way to get to a thousand points and 49 PL just with the contents of that box. You know, you're at that point, you basically take the box, you assemble it and you're ready to play, uh, you know, was it incursion level thousand points? Yep. 
yeah, you're at 49 PL, yeah. uh, 1030 points. And yeah, you have, and like your calculation showed it, this is just right. This is just over like 10 points a dollar. If you yeah. consider that you're splitting this 50, 50 with somebody. And, and that is literally like, <laughs> so I went through and I calculated that points per dollar for every star collecting box. That is the only one that's, that's that valuable. There are a couple of the other ones, like the, the Necron Indominus set is almost at $10 per point as well, because they actually did a really good job. The, the Indominus start, uh, box is 1,030 points of Space Marines and 995 points of Necrons, 49 PL and 50 PL. So they're actually incredibly balanced for once. Yeah. Uh, which normally is, that has not been the case. <laughs> yeah. That is normally not the case. Um, and and they've done a decent job at the recruit and the elite levels as well of keeping the PL and the points pretty close so that like things are even matchups. Um, so that if you're if you and a friend pick up the recruit edition to start playing, you can build everything that's in the box, start playing each other, and neither side will have you know a, a distinct advantage where I'm just going to run rough shot over you because Necrons suck at you know low points or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the past, it's always been the, the Imperium size side always ends up, uh, or it yeah. feels like that the Imperium side always ends up uh, with the upper hand in yeah. those matchups. And that's yeah, that's not the case with this, which is which is very nice. Um, on the Space Marine Indominus box, you wind up getting three uh, three HQs. You wind up having the the captain, the Primaris lieutenant, and then the Primaris chaplain. You have two assault intercessor squads, um, which you can kit out the cat the the sergeant a couple different ways you have the blade guard ancient uh which is the the banner you have the blade guard veteran squad the outrider squad and then um oh the sorry the judicar is also another elite um which i thought was kind of neat that they put him in as an elite and not as an hq because i think he might actually see some play as an elite yeah and then the eradicator squads which are just fantastic as heavy support so you wind up getting kind of a good spread where you have, you know, several characters as HQs, a couple of different troop options, a couple of units for troops, several elite options, including a couple of elites that are that are independent characters, fast attack and a heavy support. Like you have a really good spread of all of the different types of units um, that Space Marines can field. And, and I think that it's I think it's a really solid core of an army to get started with. Especially at the cost. Oh yeah, if you can, if you could, could have, you know, can get one of the boxes. Yeah, it's it now. It's they're pretty much all gone because I mean they sold out very quickly. Yeah, and you know the uh, period of getting the made to order set, set is over. But if you got it, or if you split one with a friend, or if you find a store that still has one somehow, yeah, fantastic buy. For, yeah. for and actually fantastic buy for both sides because as we said the this box is damn near at parity yeah between that, the two that's, factions and that's super impressive because like I said even at the the recruit and the elite editions they are pretty close uh, point wise they're about fifty points off each other um, at With those the Xenoside getting more points strangely right enough. which is yeah which is not something you'd think about like oh. No, they actually have more. That's very interesting. So, um, yeah, like I, I just I think that it's very any of these are very good ways to start Space Marines because it gives you, you know, like I said, it gives you some HQs. It gives you a good spread of 
of the different types of units that are in the army. And it gives you enough flexibility that you can build up, you can add in, you know, your, your transports, you can add in dreadnoughts, you can add in, you know, whatever, kind of whatever you want to from here. And I think all of this would, would work as the base for any faction from, you know, death watch to space wolves. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the fact, and again, if we didn't know if like, if they hadn't announced that, all the space Marines were going to be playing out of the same codex. I think we would have a very different take on it because you'd be like, well, Absolutely. if you like, uh, yeah, if you like Ultramarines or codex Marines, yeah, these will be good. But if you want to play anything else, yeah, hold off. But no, in this case, all of these will be available. So yeah, just find whatever flavor of Marine suits you best because you'll have access to all these toys. Yeah. So yeah, it, no, that's fantastic. And I mean, Indominus was a fantastic deal when it came out, and now we we can actually see the numbers on. Yes, it is exactly the kind of thing you want as a launch product yeah. for this. Well, and, and getting both factions right to a thousand points just by building them out of the box, like allows you to play incursion level and kind of below with you know mixing and matching things there, and that's a really good place to start. Where it's like you're not dealing with everything that's going into a two thousand point game. You're not dealing with all of the manipulation and all that stuff like that. You're playing on a smaller table, so there's less terrain needed. Like it's a really ingenious way to get people started into the hobby. And I and I I can't stress that enough that I think things are things are like maybe some of the best launch, you know, start products that they've ever released. Things are fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's flip the script and look at the Xeno side of this with the Necrons. How did the Necrons fare with these starter products? Yeah, so the Recruit Edition for the Necrons, which again, I'm kind of putting in at $25, assuming that you're going to buy the $50 box and split it with somebody. Um, for $25, you get 245 points and 12 power level worth of uh, Necrons, which includes uh, Royal Warden HQ, a 10-man unit of Necron Warriors, and a unit of Scarabs, which again, HQ, Troop, and Fast Attack. Uh, that's, that's really good. Like, that's a good start, you know, for any, for any, any build that you're going to do, because if you're playing Necrons, you're going to need warriors. Like, you, they're one of only two troop options you have. You are going to need them. Uh, the Warden's a really nice, solid HQ for a little bit cheaper than a, than a Lord. So, like, that's also a really good option. Yeah. And, and you're getting the new Necron warrior models, which just look fantastic. Yeah. They are great. Um, and actually they are, they're a little, they're a little more customizable than I thought because I was going through and putting mine together because I picked up the, uh, the elite edition starter box and, uh, the Necron warriors all have the ability to kit them out with the Gauss flare or the Gauss reaper. So you can build a full 10 man squad of either weapon. Yeah. And yeah, that's nice. I, I'm actually going to look and see if I can't. Like I'm going to build all the ones that I get for that I've got from the Indominus box uh, with the uh, with the Reapers, and then I'm probably going to look to see if I can't use the flares on some of the older Necron Warrior models that I already have. So you don't have to use the little green plastic rod versions, right? Because I wasn't going green. I probably wasn't going to go green with my color scheme anyway mm -hmm. yeah and yeah i mean uh, uh i don't know if they currently have them 
available right now because I know they're redoing the box and I don't think they've released them standalone, but let's see, Necrons, do they have Necron? I don't know, like, I don't think you can buy Necron Warriors standalone, but a 10 model box used to be, what, about 40 bucks? Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, Yeah, they don't have it up currently anymore, but yeah, I I would say it's going to be Somewhere between forty and sixty now, because now that they have weapon options, they're a little more, you know, probably more in parity with the other ones. So like Tau Fire Warriors, I believe are sixty dollars, fifty dollars for a box. So I would bet that like Necron Warriors are probably going to be fifty dollars a box when we get the multi part uh, kit that comes out. And again, like a full squad for twenty five dollars plus a character plus a unit of scarabs, that's that's an insane deal. Like, that's a yeah. really great deal. Yeah, I mean, even if you consider that traditionally the Scarabs have been includes in the, the Warrior box, you're still getting a free HQ, which, again, mm-hmm. standalone would be a $30 model. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, 25 bucks. I mean, hell, at 50 bucks, this would, and if you just gave away the Marines, this would be a good buy for Necrons. Yeah. No, absolutely. And then the uh, the Elite... Uh, edition is cr- frankly almost almost as good a deal as well. So it's fifty dollars, and you get the uh, uh, Necron over or Necron Lord, I guess. It's an, an overlord. overlord or it's an overlord. Overlord. Okay. So you get a Necron Overlord. You get the ten man uh, unit of warriors and the the scarabs, and then you get the unit of the um, Scorpec. Uh, yeah, the Scorpec Destroyers and and the Plasma Scythe that comes with it. And obviously this is a brand new unit, so we don't know what it is, what they're going to look like when they get their own kit. But that is easily going to be a $60 kit when those when those come out on their own. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, like you get a unit of three of them um, in here. And it's, it's effectively kind of this. It's effectively just an upgrade to the recruit box because you're getting that unit on top of what you're what you're looking at but for 25 bucks like that's such a fantastic deal like i yeah <laughs> so that gets you up to that gets you up to almost 400 points so 390 points and 20 pl and again wherever you're going to go and build your necrons from there that's a solid solid base and they're all things that you're going to want to use and and will probably need in your necron army mhm and so yeah then you combine those two and Ooh, you get you get some good value. Yeah, I mean, at that point, when you, if you buy the two and you combine them, you're looking at two HQs, two troops, uh, an elite unit, and two fast attack units. And again, like you can kit the warriors out to shoot, you know, with different ways: short short range shooting, long range shooting, or a mix. You've got a royal warden that can help them with that. You've got your regular overlord that does all this overlord stuff. Two units of scarabs, um, which I mean, scarabs. If if they keep the same rules, scarabs can kind of tie up or take out a number of things. Like they can be very, very useful units if you use them correctly. Yeah. So, like I said, rock solid start of a of a Necron box, a Necron army. You know, for seventy five dollars to get you to almost almost uh, six hundred uh, six hundred thirty five points um, with all of that, and that's again, you throw in. You know, a, another another warrior unit, a unit of you know, a box of immortals. However, you kind of want to go with it. Like you throw in one of the larger, like um, 
uh, annihilation barge or something like that, and you're you're very quickly at a thousand points um, with with what you have. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, hell, I was looking. It's like you could easily just throw in if you wanted to do it super cheap buy another recruit edition you get a second warden you get another unit of troops you know another unit of warriors you get another unit of scarabs that gets you to about like it's like 870 points yeah i mean you're and then you still have room to add like you said like any number of kits to splash in but yeah you you can you can kickstart a, a necron collection very quickly with some solid stuff out of these well, and the other thing with Necrons, too, is that, like, they do have, like, some of the larger toys to play with, like the, the Annihilation Barge and the, uh, like, the Tesseract Vault and, you know, things like that. But the core of any good Necron army is troops, and it's, like, foot people. So, you know, you, you're wanting to kind of make just an army that's difficult to, to move. And, uh, yeah, this is the, the far and away the most effective way to get just bodies for your army. Oh, yeah. And well, and especially with this edition, having resilient troops with obsec that can take and hold objectives. I mean, and there's few that you will have more trouble shifting than Necrons. Mm hmm. And then, yeah, you've got the. Uh, and then you move on to Indominus. And. Yeah, yeah and it's Indominus. a thousand point army. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a thousand. It's 900, 995 points, 50 power level. Like, you just build it. As as is in the book, and you're basically good to go. You may have to manipulate the four swords a little bit because you do get four te- technically four HQs with the uh, the Overlord, the Plasma Mancer, the Royal Warden, and the Scorpec Lord. But yeah, I mean, you could easily build a multi detachment army where you've got your patrol with all of your HQs, and then the Scorpec Lord and the Destroyers, um, you know, in, in a, well, because there's a couple elites. So let's see here. Um, you've got two units of warriors. You've got your Canoptic Reanimator and your, your Crypto Thralls that are also elites. So you could you do could that build as a Vanguard. A, yeah. Yeah. As a Vanguard to still be able to use all of your HQs. And it's kind of nice because then you're not just, you're looking, you're actually engaging with the, the army building mechanics, um, as well, so like, okay, this is how I build to get all of these things into the force work. So you're kind of learning how this army plays versus like list building for space marines because list building for the Indominus space marine is just throw it all on a battalion and you're good to go. But here, like, you actually do have a little more. Um, you have to kind of engage with the list building, kind of understand a little bit more, which is which is good because if you're doing this, you know, as a pair of friends that pick this up, split it, and are trying to learn the game. You're learning some, adi- you know, advanced uh, advanced list building and, and army building options uh, as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's. I mean, you get a, a really well rounded force with this. I mean, the only thing you're really lacking is, is heavy support. But we also know that there are new kits coming, like the new, mm-hmm. like the was it the Locust heavy destroyer. Yep. Yeah. So it's like we're we're getting kits that will fill in those spots and there's existing Necron units that will definitely cover those, those holes as well. So, yeah, I mean, and if you're wanting to take like that Indominus and build it up to a 2000 point army, you throw in, you throw in another unit or two of troops, you throw in some Necron wraiths, you throw in, um, some Lich guard and you're, you're 
you know, a good ways towards having a very solid 2000 point army. And obviously all this will change once their codex comes out and hopefully some of these units will get a little bit better. Um, but Necrons have, have a really good range of options, um, model wise. And, uh, hopefully that they all, you know, they get a power boost with their new codex and they become, become a little more competitive. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So like just looking at the recruit, uh, recruit through Indominus of, of their starter products, I, yeah, these are probably some of the most balanced, well-rounded, and financially beneficial starter products Absolutely. that they've come up with in, a, in several editions. Yeah, I mean, I think Black Reach is still probably the gold standard, but this these are damn close. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think, I you know, I, I I know we were a little bit critical of their Indomitus strategy from the get go, but the recruit and the elite edition starter boxes that basically contain, you know, most of the stuff from Indominus. Um, like those are, those are really good launch products. And, and in ways having a $50 starter box that you can pick up and get the rules for the game scenarios to play with at various point levels. Cause that's one of the things that I really liked when the elite edition is there are in the instruction box, like in the, the little instruction pamphlet, it says, okay, build this unit first. So build your assault intercessors. Here are the instructions for that. Build your Necron warriors. Here are the instructions for that. The next page, here's a scenario on how to play with a unit of, of uh, assault intercessors against a unit of Necron warriors on a small table. And then the next page, build this model. Here's how you play with this model. And then like a scenario at the end to play with everything. Like it's a really good introduction tool to build up and lead people into how to play the game. Yeah. And, and I think that's really how they, they need to uh, address that and make, to make it really a viable starter product, not just a product that we buy because of good value, but as a product yeah. that is literally a gateway into the game for new players. And yeah, yeah it sounds like they did it. Like looking at the numbers, looking at what you can build with it, and uh, looking at the amount of value you get for buying it, yeah, they, they've done that. They, they did what they set out to do. Yeah. So if you're interested in playing Primaris or Necrons... Like you, yeah, that's, that's the one all, downside is, yeah. is that you are, you are limited to those two factions. And granted, Space Marines covers a pretty wide swath at this point. But yeah, if you aren't, a, if you aren't into robot zombies or Space Marines, yeah, you're, you're kind of left out of the cold. So next episode, uh, we're going to start looking at the other start collecting boxes, uh, starting with the Forces of Chaos, and uh, look at how well those products, many of which predated 9th edition, how well yeah. have they uh, handled the transition, and are they viable boxes to start with, and what do you need to add to them to, to make them worthwhile? Uh, but first, we're going to transition over to... Uh, I don't know if anybody has hobby progress. I do uh, I have fallen off the wagon. I uh, the only hobby progress I have is that I picked up a squiggeth when uh, one of the guys at the at the shop decided he was going to do a a Forge World order and asked me if I wanted to add anything on. I was like, yes. I finally like pulled the trigger. I'm going to get. Uh, a squigath. I have not started 
you know, prepping it to put it together or anything yet, but I bought a thing. You bought a thing. Yes. Joined us on the Forge World bandwagon. I love it. <laughs> Did you order any of the guns do, to go with it? Uh, well, I, I was looking through, and I did not see any of the guns available. Uh, oh, they're all sold out. So I don't have a gun for it. Uh, when has that ever stopped an orc player? Right. right. I, I do have an extra, like, battle wagon kit, which <laughs> comes with that, like, little turret thing that I will probably figure out how to makeshift use that. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah, like I said, like, oh, they they don't have the, the bits available f- for for that anymore. Ah, that doesn't stop an orc. A, a pro- yeah. proper orc player is not, not even stymied by that. Y- yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> concerned. I'll figure um, something out. Yeah, for me, I... I have models on my my bench, but I haven't worked on them in the last week or so. So I'm, I'm going to get back into that this week. I just had a kind of a crunch project at work that took up a lot of my brain space. And by the time I was done each day, I was not in the space to be able to, like, focus on putting, you know, paint on plastic. So, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to it this week. Although I have I'll also be back to school time. That'll be a whole new set of... <laughs> Right. struggles yeah yeah i've uh i like i said i picked up the elite edition starter so i've been building all of that and uh converting all of the indomita space marines into death watch i haven't started painting any of them yet but uh, i'm currently clearing out my paint queue to try to start working on them um and then as uh because i have a problem i acquired another 3d printer uh so i have a a third printer that i can use to work on terrain and uh and various other projects so that's not a been, problem that is a solution for acceleration it, it actually is well so as as uh I, I bought it from uh dustin our our my former co-host on uh, under discussion and as he pointed out he's like that's how you solve the the length of the amount of time it takes to like 3d print stuff is you just have multiple printers running <laughs> and i'm like that's fair but uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited wrong. to have it. Yeah, I'm excited to have the third one because it's another one that is a it's a Creality CR10 uh, Pro Two, so it's actually a little bit bigger than my current CR10, but it's another big one that I can use to print like large things. So now, if I want to print like so, there's a like a three tier tau um ta- uh, tower that like uh you can build and use as like a centerpiece for a, a terrain. If I were to print that before, it would be using one of my printers for like three days and I couldn't print anything else that was big. Now I can do that on one and then I still have the other printer available to work on other big things. And, uh, you know, so it's nice. It, it'll allow me to get more things completed. Mm-hmm. And my utility bill is probably going to go through the roof, but we'll figure that <laughs> out later. <laughs> Between that and the air conditioning to not die in Arizona. <sighs> it got it's it's below 110 now. So there's that. Yeah, like legitimately, <laughs> like the other night, like I went outside. And I'm like, it's only 100 degrees. This feels great. <sighs> uh, you're, you're, it sounds like you're actually cu- cooler than uh, Los Angeles is right now. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> that that's uh, <laughs> yeah, not for me. I would die. It actually rained a couple weeks ago, so there's that. <laughs> I got that going for you, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, 
it well before that it hadn't rained in like 120 days or something so <laughs> well you are in the desert that's not unheard yeah. of yeah, going that long's kind of unheard of. That was that was not normal. A lot of people like that. That's not normal. We sh- we normally get like rain occasionally. We don't normally go four months without rain. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then uh, final segment of our show is the morale phase. And for the morale phase, we had one thing that I, I one thing I wanted to, to talk about to start with, and there's another thing I'm going to throw in at the end because <laughs> it. It, it's insane and it's wonderful and it sometimes we all need a good laugh but uh, the first thing i want to talk about is something that richard and i got to actually try out last night and yes uh, yeah this was really cool so as you may have gleaned from the several times over the last several episodes that i've mentioned playing magic and specifically playing commander magic where you have a 100 card singleton deck meaning that other than basic lands you don't have any more than one of a particular card and there's other restrictions on like what colors you can use and like you have to have a character that basically acts kind of like your warlord um and this is all all well and good but it's kind of hard to play in person right now yep (laughs) And, and while there are tools like magic online which will let you play, you can't play with your existing physical collections. You would have to rebuy all the cards all over again. I am not interested in doing this. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we have, and, and so fortunately, um, unusual problems require unusual solutions, and somebody has come up with a very cool tool to allow people to play specifically commander, but you could play any form of magic or a lot of just different card games in general uh, online. And that is a product called spell table. And actually, if you just go to spelltable.com, it's basically a tool for playing commander via webcam. Um, now you'd think, well, that's not nothing fancy. You can do webcam chat, like you could play via Zoom or or Discord video or something like that. Well, yes, that is true. But Spelltable has a, a few extra bells and whistles that make it really well suited for doing this. So uh, once you get your camera set up, um, and they have like a whole FAQ on uh, like. What are the requirements? Uh, can I u- can I use my phone as a webcam? If I don't have a separate web- webcam, can I mount my phone somewhere and have it serve? And they do have some experimental technology for that. It's not 100% perfect, but it is doable. Uh, is it free? Yes. Uh, and their plan is to keep this free forever. There's not a subscription service on this. They're basically just acting as a, cl- a free client for you to use to host games and play them. But basically, you have a you you set up a play surface and you point your camera down at it, and you have to have your lighting right so everything's visible. And then you play your cards out on the table. It's like okay, well that's that's pretty basic. And there's a life tracker. Okay, that a lot of things could do a life tracker. But I think what really made this golden for us was the card uh, lookup. Yeah, the a couple of us ha- don't have the best of webcams. So it can be a little dodgy at times. Um, but Rob has a really good webcam and it pretty much worked perfectly uh, on his play surface. Um, but you can just, 
any player can go into the window for a player and click on the area where a card is, and it will use that image and look up and give you basically pull. I think it pulls from Scryfall, which is the a big online database for all of the magic cards, and then we'll pull up that card so that you can see a a very nice, you know, resolution scan of that card. Mm-hmm. And like on yours, it you your your angle your uh, lens is kind of a wide angle lens, so it, you got quite a bit of fisheye at the edges. So. Yeah. After a certain point, the cards don't look rectangular anymore, and I think that's where their lookup stops. It, yeah, stops it, it throws that off. But like, I, I tried to make sure that like when I cast a card, like I just put it like right dead center in first, and, and leave it there for a second, and, and and then I'll like arrange, you know, the play surface after that. Yeah, and you and uh, they do have audio support, but they right now it's like very experimental, and they uh, recommend doing your audio through something like Discord. So basically, we had a Discord channel open, and then like Richard, like if Richard casts a card, he tells us what he's casting, and then we can click on it because he's putting it in the middle of his play area. And yeah, I, I could just click on his card; it would bring it right up, and I could read the text of the card right there. Um, and as you said, Dan had Dan has a very old webcam where it is very low resolution, so everything was very blurry. And that, God bless it, that card lookup tried real hard. Yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> Lot, lots of lots of basic planes and 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 mountains that Dan was apparently playing that he wasn't. Um, but a- as part of that card lookup function there's also just literally a blank uh for you to like just text search by title of by the name of the card and you could just pull up cards that way yeah so like again as long as everybody's like uh openly announcing like this is the card i'm playing you can always look it up and and find out the text of it so yeah no it's it if you have a really good webcam uh, it it definitely works better, but it, we still made it work with three webcams of very uh, of varying quality. Yeah, and and got a a perfectly good game in, and yeah, it 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 worked great, and it has worked so well for people over uh, the pandemic that a couple of weeks ago they announced they've been bought by Wizards of the Coast, so they're now going to be an official Magic product. Yep. Which I mean, it has to be the dream of of anybody making a product for a company is to have it become you know officially adopted. And like we saw that with the uh, like the Age of Sigmar uh, War, War Scroll Builder for you know GW basically approaching the guy that made it and said, "Yeah, we want that that thing right there. Would you sell that to us?" <laughs> so I mean, this is basically that same kind of thing. And uh, they even have, like, there's multiple screen layouts you can do. So, like, by default, they do, like, a four-frame tiled layout so you can see everybody's play area at the same time. But you can switch to a focused mode where you get little, like, thumbnails of everyone's screen along the side. And then you can click on one of them and see, like, a large version of it. So that that's uh, – we use that a lot for th- – 
since we only had three players, it was really easy yeah. to rotate between that and have a better view of everything going on. I mean, even even with four players, I think that's still the better view mode, personally. But, you know. Um, and then it, it does have other tools for anybody who knows about, like, any of the specifics of, of magic that, like, Commander has something called Commander Damage. It didn't really come up that in in our game, but and it doesn't always, but you know, if a commander deals damage to a player, like you don't have to necessarily bring them down to zero life. You only have to do twenty one points of damage with the commander to a player to eliminate them. And so mm-hmm. there is a tool to track that. There's a tool to track um infect damage on players. So it it's pretty well featured. Yep, and it also, like, you can enter in which commander you're using or commanders because there's some that you can play in pairs, and it will show everybody, like, this is the commander they're playing, this is what colors they're using, so you can kind of know what to expect might be in their deck. Uh, There's uh, an indicator on screen to show whose turn it is, and you just press the space bar when you're done with your turn to move on to the next person. Yep. Um, Yeah, I mean, just lots of little quality-of-life bits for the game and it makes me sad that there's really not a a way to do something like that for 40k yeah because it'd be really nice to play remote 40k but considering it requires both people to have minis on the same board that's a little bit of a harder ask (laughs) right (laughs) but uh but uh, no for for magic and they even say like you can it's mainly made for commander magic but you could play any kind of magic you wanted on it and honestly as long as you're playing a game that doesn't require players to swap cards back and forth I mean, you could play anything, any kind. Like, you like Pokemon, you could play Pokemon with this. Do you like, uh, do you play, like, Legend of the Five Rings or, like, some of the, collect- the uh, like, the living card games that uh, Fantasy Flight puts out? You could totally play that with this. Because it's basically a framework for video, uh, some sort of point tracking, and, uh, and, like, you can even do little things like, uh, I was able to flip around, like, I think... Your camera feed came to me upside down, Richard. So there's right. this little like I could right click it and say flip the video, and it would just flip it right side up. Yeah. So I could see everybody's the same way. So now nah, it was it's a really cool tool, and if you uh, play Magic at all and aren't feeling the like buying everything digitally all over again, uh, this is a fantastic way to play and like reconnect with. Uh, like your your magic play group if you if you're missing out on games and you know Dennis has kept some of his his commander stuff so when he's back online we will probably have our fourth for our our commander pod so yeah. we're looking forward to that <laughs> yep uh the other thing i wanted to add this is a last minute add um that i discovered during our break between parts 1 and 2 of the episode and i don't want to give too much of it away uh, and you're going to think I'm weird mentioning this as something for the morale phase, but I direct you all to the Twitter account of the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. That's twitter.com slash USCPSC. And I'm going to leave it at that. Yep. It, it is... Uh, words fail me. A sight to behold? It is a sight to behold is a very good way to put it. And I do want you to keep this in mind. This is absolutely, as far as I can determine, an actual government Twitter account. 
Yeah. Uh, and don't worry, this is nonpartisan. This has nothing to do with politics or political parties or the upcoming election. This is a very neutral government agency, and they have the most special Twitter account. So yeah. if you need a laugh, if you just need to 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 see something that will make your make you scratch your head and either laugh or cry or both, this is the Twitter account for you. <laughs> so I will leave it at that. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. And uh, we may be inspired to uh, maybe maybe that's our our new social media policy. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kevin, you 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 forwarded that idea. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, I I I may have to work on some things. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap up episode two hundred twenty three of uh, Preferred Enemies. When we come back in. A couple of weeks, we're going to be on part two of our getting started in uh, ninth edition series with a look at the various armies that have starter boxes for chaos. Uh, but until then, uh, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm Rob, Kevin, and Richard. Good night, good gaming, and stay safe and healthy, everybody. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.